Father, we are before your word, and your word is the, the most important thing, the most important um, truth in this world, because it testifies to who you are. Father, we pray that you will plainly reveal to us who you are. And as a result of that plain revelation, may it realign our priorities, realign our emotions, realign what we want to do with ourselves, realign with how we see, see all things. Reveal yourself clearly and mightily, Lord, today. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so I was thinking, I was like, you know, because it's you know, Christmas season, I was thinking, should we just take a break for the Sermon on the Mount and just maybe focus on Advent, which is a Christmas season? And I said, no. And it's because I think the things that we talk about in the Sermon on the Mount is all directly related to the season, the Advent season of Christ's coming. Um, what I like about Christmas, not only the lights, but I think the spirit of warmth and generosity, spirit of gift-giving, it's really, really, I think that sense of warmness in, in, in the world, you know, it, it lifts your heart. And today we're going to talk about gifts, especially the great gifts that God, has give, God is going to give to God is God is giving and will continue to give to his children. So let's talk about that today. So before we get started talking about the gifts, let's once again we realign our minds to, to remember what the Sermon of the Mount is. The Sermon of the Mount is, I think there are a lot of ways to describe what it is, but the, the, but the way that I want to describe it today is, what the Sermon of the Mount is, it can be a description, a description of what a person who is aware of God looks like. Jesus talks about, in the Sermon of the Mount, especially the Beatitude, he talks about the inner transformation of a Christian, what happens to the inner life of a person who knows God. That's Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 6 and 7 talks about what a person who becomes aware of God, what that person looks like, how that person lives. So Jesus is saying, if you become aware of who God really is, then this is how you're going to live. So last week, Pastor, we did a really good sermon about judging others. And if you, haven't, if you didn't listen to it, it's available. Where is it available at? iTunes? Where? It's on Facebook? All right, go to our Facebook page and podcast, you know, go listen to what, what Pastor Richard said last week. It was really good. But let's talk about the example of judging others. Last week, Pastor Richard talked about judging others. And so judging others, like Pastor Richard mentioned last week, I mean, I think that's the cancer that kills everything in the world, right? Every human relationship is riddled with judgments. We're constantly judging other people, right? I, I do it all the time. You do it all the time, right? I think my son told me he doesn't do it. I go, okay. So, like, it's like we're just, like, every time we get up, we look at someone, we just constantly judge them, right? And it's just, it's a cancer that ruins all relationships. And Jesus clearly warns, if you judge others, God's going to judge you with the same standard, right? Yesterday, we had family worship, and I asked my daughter, hey, so what do you judge other people by? And she says, by the way they look and they dress. I go, oh, same as your dad? And I said, look, if I just constantly judge belittle people just by their outer appearance, then Jesus is saying, God's going to use that standard to judge me. God's going to say, are you Brad Pitt? Right? Are you BTS? Right? Do you have pink hair? I go, no. So, like, so Jesus says, 
If you live a life of constant judgment, like everyday judgment, God's going to judge you, which basically he's saying, if you, the way you know that you don't know him is if you live a constant life of judgment. Why do you are obsessed with the speck in someone else's eye and ignore the huge blank in your own eye? But what happens to a person who becomes aware of who God is? If a person starts to personally become aware of who God is, what happens to that person? Number one, you realize your standard of judging other people is just stupid. Pastor Wilson doesn't like it when I say the word stupid, but I'm going to say the word stupid. Because it really is. The way that you, the standard that you use to judge other people, it doesn't matter when you know God. Why? Because when you know God, it is only His standard that matters. Your standard, my standard of judging other people, it means nothing. Because God's standard is the only eternal standard that matters. And when you become personally aware of God, that's when you start to realize how foolish your standard is. And the second thing that you realize when you, are in, when you, are, when you start to know the true God is, you don't meet God's standard either. God has his perfect standard, and there's no way that you or I can come close to that. And yet, even though we fall so short, that's the definition of sin, by the way, like missing the mark, missing the standard. Even though we're so far from meeting God's standard, rather than judging us like we judge other people, he judged his son to forgive us and to love us. And when you personally become aware of that, you cannot live a life of constant judgment. Only a person who's personally persuaded by the fact that we don't meet God's standard and yet he judged Christ in our stead. It is only a person who realizes that can be set free from the life of constant judgment. Jesus is describing what a person who's personally aware of God looks like. He's saying if you're living a life of constant judgment, you don't know God. You don't know the gospel. So that's an example. Sermon on the Mount describes what a person who is aware of the character, the attributes of God looks like. Today, Jesus talks about God giving gifts. And if we truly become aware of the fact that God is a God who gives good gifts, Jesus says, what kind of, how would you live? You will live a life of constant prayer. A person who is truly persuaded by the generosity of God. A person who is truly persuaded of the fact that God will give his children good gifts. If we're truly persuaded by that, how will you live? You will live a life of constant asking, constant seeking, constant knocking at the door. If you're not asking, if you're not seeking, and if you're not knocking at the door, you are not convinced that God is generous. You are not convinced that your father, your heavenly father, is a good father who provides for his people. We're going to talk about that today. Before we talk about the good gifts that God gives, let's go back and let's just remember the attributes of God. Today, I love all of today's songs because all of today's songs accurately reflects the attributes of God. What is God's attribute? God's attribute number one, he is infinitely strong. What does that mean? Infinitely strong means he does everything that he pleases him. 
There is no, nothing that is outside of his control. Everything unfolds because of him. He is strong. He does whatever he plans to do. And this is kind of a geeky thing that I realized this week. So this week was a really rough week. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm having rough weeks constantly every day. But one of the things that got me out of my funk was the understanding that everything that is right now is because God allowed everything to exist just as it is right now. Everything that is going on right now is because He is. He designed it to be. And everything the future will unfold because He has planned it to be. Everything that is is because of Him. Everything that will be is because of Him. We suffer because we can't adjust. We can't accept the things as they are. We are always wanting to be in another reality that we think is more, more that we think is better than the reality that is right now. We are suffering because we can't accept the fact that everything that is is because of God, and everything that will be in the future is in His hands. Because we can't accept that we're in anxiety. But the Bible is clear. God is infinitely strong. Everything unfolds because of his strength. God is not only strong, God is righteous. All the things that he does is right. Everything that he does, including the things that seemingly do not make sense in your life, he does it because it is the right thing. God is righteous, meaning everything that happens to you, he allows it because it is the right thing for you. God is wise. God is infinitely wise. No one can search his thoughts. Everything unfolds on the basis of his plan, his wisdom. Nothing escapes his mind. God is strong. God is righteous. God is wise. But as Rob eloquently sang this morning, God is also humble, loving. He lifts the weak. He is perfect love. The strong, righteous, wise God is also the God who gave up his only begotten son to love us. He is the strong, wise, righteous, infinitely loving God. And this God will give good gifts to his children. This infinitely strong, wise, righteous, loving God is a God who is very generous. God is very generous. How do we know? Verse 7, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. What does it mean? He means, come to me, ask me, seek me, knock at my door. If you're my child, I will give, I will not withhold anything good from you. He will pour his blessings upon us because God is a generous God. You need to be convinced of the fact that he, of his generosity. He will pour good things, perfect things, 
out of his strength, which means he can do all things, out of his righteousness, which is the right thing, out of his wisdom, out of his great love for you, he will pour blessings upon you. And all we need to do is ask, seek, and knock. Ephesians chapter 1, is it verse 32? What does it say? Ephesians chapter 1, verse, 30, verse 3. Praise be to God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing is in the hands of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ will unleash every spiritual blessings to his people. He's not a stingy God. He's not PJ. Yesterday, we went to Tyson's, and I wanted to like, eat at the mall, right? At the food court, I want to eat Bang Bang Chicken. And my, 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 my son says, I'm going to go to Costa Flats. I go, what the? I go, okay. And I was like begrudgingly, I begrudgingly went to Costa Flats. Because my son wanted a $20 mahi-mahi. I wanted a $8 bang-bang chicken. I was stingy. God is not like me. He is generous. He will pour out his blessings upon his people. All we need to do is to ask and seek and knock. And Jesus promised, God himself promises, I will give it to you. James Boyce is the pastor that I, you know, reference when I'm preparing sermons. And James Boyce says, James Boyce is saying, according to these verses, these verses clearly show the reason for the powerlessness and the irrelevance of the Christian faith in the modern Christian's life. He says these verses explain, clearly show the reason why our spiritual life is not dynamic, our spiritual life is not powerful, our spiritual life seems dead. He's saying, according to Jesus, the reason our spiritual life is dead and powerless is because we simply do not ask. He says, why do people complain? The Bible seems dead to me. He says, it's because you're not asking God. People ask, why why can I overcome this sin? Why am I still beholden to this besetting sin? Boyce is saying, according to these verses, it's because you're not asking Why am I not such a, such, a, such a poor evangelist? Why can't I share my faith? James Boyce is saying, according to this verse, it's because you're not asking. James chapter 4, verse 2, is it? You receive not because you don't ask God. James Boyce is saying, why do pastors complain that their sermons are powerless? It's because they're not asking God. They're not seeking God. Why is there no conversion in our church? Because we're not seeking, pastors are not seeking God and asking Him. Your faith perhaps is irrelevant, dry, difficult, weary. Maybe the simplest answer is you're not asking Him, you're not seeking Him. You're not knocking at his door. And yet you expect power to automatically fall from the sky. 
Jesus says, all you need to do is ask, seek, knock, and blessings that are beyond your imagination, life that is beyond your imagination, power beyond all imagination will come to you. Do you believe that? How do you know you believe that? If you start praying, you won't get the power of God without asking Him. I don't know why God designed it that way, but God, that's how God designed it. Why did God say, why did Jesus say, Jesus basically used three verbs to describe prayer. He says, asking, seeking, knocking. Why does He use the three distinct verbs to describe prayer? There are many reasons, but I like John Piper's explanation the best. John Piper says, Jesus used these three verbs to describe the different spiritual conditions that we all go go through in this fallen world. Sometimes, when you're walking with God, God is so readily available. God seems so present. Have you ever felt that way? Yesterday, oh, it was great. I, I was like, pacing the basement. I was doing this. I was like praying. I was like using hand gestures. I got to work out when I was praying. And I was like, when I was like doing prayer, oh, the God seems so, God was there. There's no, it seems like there was no barrier between him and me. He seems so present. And in those moments, you can ask. He's just merely asking because you know he's listening. Have you ever felt that way? If you haven't, you're missing out, people. Sometimes when he's so present, it's obvious that he's real. So you ask. Oh, you ask. Other times, it is not, you're not there. Other times, God doesn't seem readily available. It's not his fault. He's always available. It's because we are living in a fallen spirit and still a a regenerating mind. And because we forget sometimes, he doesn't seem to be there. So in such times, what you do, you seek after him. Seek after means not just asking, but putting action, seeking him. Basically, it means opening up your Bible and seeking him through the word. Sometimes when you can't pray, sometimes when you seem so far away, what you need to do is you need to seek. Open up the Bible and look at the promises of God. Examine the characters of God. And doing that fills your heart with his presence and you can ask him. Little secret. Sometimes in my 1 a.m. prayer time on Saturdays, that's the reason why I come late sometimes on Sundays because I just go to sleep really late. Sometimes when I can't pray, you know what I do on Saturday night? I look at the bulletin for the next day, and I look at Pastor Eugene's call to worship, and I open the call to worship, and I go verse by verse. And those verses of the call of worship rejuvenates my heart. When I can't pray on Saturday nights, I look at the call of worship, and I seek God in the call of worship. And when I seek him, he is there. Sometimes seeking is not enough. Sometimes you are desperate and you need to knock. 
And I was there this week. Sometimes, when things are so hard, even the seeking doesn't comfort you. And all you can do is desperately knock at his door. And I was there this week. I didn't pray much Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. And it isn't because I was lazy. It is because I'm going through something. And I just wanted to forget. I didn't want to think about what I'm going through. Sometimes dudes do that, by the way. I think the reason why we like football so much is because we want to escape reality. And we don't want to think about it. Hence, the popularity of Star Wars, Marvel comics for the guys in their 50s. We don't want to think about it. We want to be distracted. And this week, what I was going through was so hard. I thought if I prayed on it, it would, it would involve me thinking about it. And I didn't want to think about it. Sometimes you go through moments like that. But then, you knock at, but then in those moments, you need to knock at God's door. You need to say, I know you're sovereign in my mind. I know you're sovereign, but I need your help. Help me. And all I could do was say, help me. And you knock at God's door. The Bible is full of examples, especially the Psalms, of examples of how the psalmist are, is knocking at God's door. And the psalm, and, and the psalm that, I, that, that, that frequently comes into my mind when I'm in dark times is Psalm 22. Sorry, AV Club, I, I wasn't Pastor Wujin, I didn't give you the verses. But Psalm 22 is a perfect example of, of a person who is knocking at God's door in the time of struggles. Psalm 22, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out I cry out to you I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. This is the psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross. Why are you so far from me? So far from my crying, so far from my groaning. By day, by day and by night I cry out in pain, but you do not answer. That's the prayer. That's the knocking prayer. Sometimes it's so hard that all you need to do, all you can do is just constantly knock at God's door. Where are you? Jesus prayed that prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? The moments before he went to the cross, he was praying all night in deep anguish because of he's looking at what's going to befall him a few hours later. And he cries out to God the Father, if it is your will, please take this cup away from me. I don't want to do it. Jesus is in anguish. Jesus is knocking at God's door. Sometimes that's the only prayer they can lift up. But you know what the beauty of God is? Even in those prayers, in all prayers, whether you ask him, whether you seek him, and especially when you knock at his door, he does answer your prayers. By the grace of God, I wasn't in, I wasn't, he got me out of that depression. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was in depression. He got me out of it. I mean, primarily through preparing for this message. Because I didn't want to prepare for this message today. I didn't want to preach today, to be honest with you. Tuesday, I almost texted Ujin, can you preach this Sunday? But no. Preparing this sermon, God started to work in my mind. 
and then I see miracles at work, cases that, that cannot be denied, cases that cannot be approved became approved. I start seeing miracles, things that should not be, starts to happen in my life. I start to see it, and God puts me out of it. He answers my prayers. Because God is generous. Sometimes when you're knocking, all God requires of you to do is to cry towards his direction. When you are in pain, all he wants you to do sometimes is just to cry at his direction. Just say, help me. He is generous. And he answers your prayers. Do you know God that way? Are you convinced of his generosity? Jesus promises in verse 8, For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the, one who knocks, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. He's not saying possibility. He's not saying God may answer you, or God may, that you may find God, or God may open the door. He's not giving you a possibility. He's giving you certainties. He will answer. You will find the closed doors will be open to you. Because God is generous. Your Heavenly Father, who is strong, who is righteous, who is loving, who is wise, will will, will provide for you. Things that you will need, blessings beyond your imagination, He will give. This verse doesn't mean, obviously, like, see... Ask you will you will find. You know, ask you will be given to you. Ask you will receive. Seek you will find. Well, knocking the door will be open. Clearly, he's not talking about material blessing, like you know, the you know, like the prosperity gospel. If you just ask for it, God's going to give it to you. He's not talking about that. Obviously, he's not talking about that. Because sometimes, what we ask for or what we think we want is not really what we want. Is that really what is best for us? Sometimes the thing that we think we want is not really the thing that we really want. If we knew everything about, if we have God's perspective, what we want will change. So in the limited perception, we want things from God, but sometimes God doesn't give us what we want because he knows that's not what we really want, and he knows sometimes that's not what we really need. I'll give you an example. My daughter loves two major food groups, bacon and spam. Bacon, spam, and Korean seaweed. That's what she loves. And if she says, every morning, when she was like a few years ago, she says, can I have spam or can I have bacon? It was one of those two things. And if I give my daughter spam or bacon, every time she asks for it, I'll go to prison. Why does she want spam all the time? It's because she doesn't know what's in spam. I don't know what's in spam, do you? It costs a buck fifty. It can't be good, right? I'm sorry, did I find someone's some spam aficionado? But she really wants spam. Bacon. But me as her dad, no, it's not good for you to always eat that stuff. It is immoral for me to give her everything that she wants. Because it's bad for you. 
I know sometimes we think we want something so bad. Maybe we want a particular job so badly. Maybe we want a particular person so badly. Maybe we want a particular career so badly. But maybe, in the, maybe if you have God's perspective, if you see all things that's going to happen to you when you get those things, maybe you won't want it anymore. Not only if we get everything that we want, not only is it bad for us, it's bad for the people around us. If you really get what you want, and if it's really going to cause destruction to other people, would God give it to you? The example is, I, I, was, I watched Bruce Almighty the other day. Have you seen Bruce Almighty? Bruce Almighty, James Carey, James Carey? Jim Carey, right? James Carey, Jim Carey like, was, like God says, I'm taking vacation. You have all my powers. And Jim Carey became God for like on a few days. And at first it was great. He did everything that he wanted to do. And one of the things he wanted to do was he wanted to be all romantic to Jennifer Aniston. And what did he do? What did he do to woo her into bed? Like, you know, he went to his balcony and he slung a lasso to the moon and he brought the moon closer to their apartment. And they were, they all, they all oh, and she was so impressed and like, you know, you know, radar art things happened. But what was interesting, the next morning when Jim Carrey was listening to the news, he saw the news saying, a major eruption happened in the oceans. The moon's gravitational pull affected the waves of the ocean. And thousands of people were shipwrecked and lost their, and, 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 and are in poverty. When Jim Carrey threw the lasso on the moon and tried to glo- and brought it closer, he had no idea the damage that it will cause to the people of, of the earth. When you want something, all you need is, the, all you know is that you want something. You're not thinking about the repercussions that it will have on other people. Everything that we do, everything that we have, will cause a ripple effect. God knows that. So, when, when, so this first cannot clearly mean, ask whatever you want and God's going to give it to you. That's not what it means. What, what this means is God's going to give you like something that is best for you. Something that is, that, something that will awaken your soul. Something that will make you into this great human being that God designed you to be. He will do that for his children. And all we need to do is ask, seek, and knock. And he'll give it to you. But every morning, the sermon's going well, really well, by the way. More better than I th- expected it would. But as much as we are in it right now, tomorrow morning, I know that I will get up and doubts will come into my mind. If the dude who's preaching this with such conviction, if doubts will roll into his mind, what about you? Doubts will roll in. And there are two major doubts that Jesus talks about. Jesus talks about in verse 9. He says, Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? That's really interesting. I was reading this. Jesus is addressing the doubt that people will have about God's generosity. 
And the first doubt that Jesus addresses is, which one of you, if you want bread, your father will give to give stone? What does Jesus mean by that? I was thinking about this, and I think what Jesus had in mind was, you know, during his trials in the desert, remember when he was beginning of his ministry, he was for, fa- fasting for 40 days. And he was really hungry after 40 days. And Satan comes to him and say, hey, Jesus, you're hungry. Look at these stones. You have no bread. Look at these stones. Turn these stones into bread. What is Satan really doing? He is implanting doubt in Jesus' head. He says, Jesus, I know you're hungry, but your father will will not provide for you. Your father will not provide for you. Therefore, take matter into your own hand. Turn these stones. You turn these stones into bread. Your father's not going to provide for you. Therefore, you personally turn these stones into bread. You've got to provide for yourself. That's what Satan is saying to Jesus. Tomorrow morning, you will wake up with a doubt that says, God's not going to provide for you. What PJ said yesterday was yesterday. God's not going to provide for you. You're on your own. You got to figure it out. There's no one going to help you but you. Get nervous. If you have no answers right now, get nervous because if you have no answers now, you're dead. You know that voice? God's not going to do it, man. Let's be realistic here. He's not going to do it. And you go, yeah, 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 I, I, think, I think so. You are in agreement with a tempter. And you'll be depressed. And when you're depressed, you will not ask God. You will not seek him. You will not knock at his door. When you're in doubt, when you, when you doubt that he will provide for you, you're not going to pray. You're not going to pray. When you're doubting whether he's going to provide for you, why would you pray? The second temptation that Jesus talks about, verse 10. Or if, if your son asks for fish, will you give your son a serpent? Jesus is addressing this, this temptation. Sometimes we think, God, not, God may not only not provide for us, but sometimes God's going to give us something that is bad for us. Jesus says, Which one, if your son asks for fish, will you give him a serpent? What he's addressing here is, there is our, our, there's a doubt in our head that says, God's not only not going to provide for me, but God's going to give me something bad. Because deep in our heart, I know that I deserve something bad. My mom... When I told her I have glaucoma, I have like really bad, bad glaucoma, the first response she did was, it's because I wasn't good to you when you were growing up. That's why God is punishing me. I go, don't be crazy. There's nothing, just genetics. But my mom personalized it. My mom says, I got glaucoma because I wasn't a good mom. And God is punishing me. People think that way. People think if bad things happen, it's because I deserve it. Because God is punishing me. Do you feel that way sometimes? 
Not only do you not believe God's going to provide for you, you think, you secretly, you think, especially the pessimists in us, we think God's going to not, God's not, God's going to give you something bad because he wants to punish me. How do I know? Job. I'm really into Job these days. Right? I'm just like reading Job over and over and over again because of my suffering state. Three of his Job's friends are saying what? Job, basically, you're suffering because you did something bad. Job, we don't know why you're suffering, but we know this. You're suffering because you did something bad. Because God's not going to punish, God's not going to let innocent people suffer like he's, suffering, he's making you suffer. Therefore, you did something bad. You've got to repent, Job. That's our mindset. But something bad happens. Oh, it's because I didn't do my quiet time. Oh, it's because you know, I should have volunteered at the committee, but I didn't. Oh, God is punishing me. Jesus' disciples, remember? In, in John? They were looking at a blind guy, and, Jesus, and the, disciples asked, the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, look at that blind guy. Why is he blind? Is it because of his sins or because of the sins of his parents? Even the disciples, in their mind, thinking bad things equals because, it's because we did something bad. God allows us, by his grace, to live out the consequences of our sins sometimes. Yes, that's true. But God doesn't purposely give us something to harm us. God is generous. He is not going to give you something bad to punish you or harm you. He's not. He allows bad things to bring life into you as as an instrument to give you something great, but never giving you something bad to harm you because he dislikes you, because you are bad to PJ. None of you are PJ, by the way. God bless you. He won't, but we think he will. I watch porn, therefore he's going to punish me. I gossip, therefore he's going to punish me. He's not. Because he's generous to his children. Jesus refutes these two mindsets. The mindset of God's not going to provide for me or the mindset that God's going to give me something harmful. Jesus refutes that in verse 11. He says, If you then, who are evil, know how to, good, good, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things? Jesus is saying, don't be, don't doubt like that. And the example that he gives us is, look, y'all are evil. Right? Y'all are evil. He says, he says, you all are evil. Me, you, disciples, everyone is evil. What is the definition of evil? Evil is opposite of what is good. Opposite of what is God. That intent, the, 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 the attitude of evil lingers in our hearts. But the word evil here is not only the intent lingers in our hearts, but that, it, that doesn't stay there. It goes out to evil actions and words that destroy other things. When Jesus says you are evil, he means your heart is opposite of God, and because your heart is opposite of God, you will start to say things, do things that are destructive and wrong. Y'all are evil, Jesus said. Yesterday I was talking to a liberal, liberal Christian, and liberal Christian, that was very, it was very frustrating. He doesn't believe that we're evil. He says he believes in the Bible, but he doesn't, say, he doesn't believe that we're evil. I go, are you crazy? Never mind, right? But Jesus is, is refuting that. Jesus, his word is saying, you all are evil. They're people. 
when what like the one group of people hurt this guy, this the person that I know, like he got hurt by a group of people, by their gossips and innuendos, whatever. He got hurt by these people. You know what this dude does? He goes to his friends, spread gossips about the people that hurt him. He got hurt, so he goes out to his friends and he spreads gossip about the people that hurt him. People who hurt him are evil. What he's doing is evil. It's an evil cyclical over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus said, y'all are evil. But even though you're evil, you still give good gifts to your kids. Even evil men give good gifts to his kids. Their kids. It's weird. Yesterday I watched Wedding Marriage Story at Netflix. Man, that's the most depressing movie I ever saw. Watch it. Oscar worthy. Marriage Story is about... Scarlett Johansson and Kylo Ren getting a divorce. Black Widow and Kylo Ren are getting a divorce. And the way they fight, man, that's a realistic depiction of how married people fight. They throw like garbage at each other, the most hurtful things. One, at one point they say, I wish you were dead, he says. They're so nasty and mean to each other. Evil. But they both love, it, love their sons. They want the best for their sons. It's crazy. They're so evil to each other, but they so want to be good parents. If you all are evil, but still want to give good gifts to your kids, God the Father, who is perfect and good and righteous, will he not give you good things? Will he not provide for you? He will not give you something that will harm you. He will provide for you. Will he not do that? If evil people give good gifts to their kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to his children? Jesus says, do not question God's generosity. Because God is the perfect Father who loves his children. How do you know God loves his children? What did he do to make you his child? He gave up his only begotten son for you. If God gave up his most precious relationship for you, will he not give you all good things? That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give you all things. Paul's argument is, if, Jesus Christ, if God gave Jesus Christ for you, is he going to withhold anything else from you that is good? No. He gave you the best of him. He will continually give you things that are best. The way you know God was going to give you gracious gifts is to remember the gospel. Remember that you are bought at a great price. Remember you are purchased with the blood of Christ. That makes you valuable. That makes you his son. Therefore, he's going to give you good things. That's the confidence that you stand in. What are you going through? What deep darkness and doubt are you going through? What depression are you going through? Ask God to make the gospel real to you. Seek God to make you understand how precious you are in his sight. 
Knock at his door and say, Lord, let me be convinced of the fact that I am purchased by your blood and therefore I am precious to you and therefore you're going to give me good gifts. Ask that prayer. You will see him move. And lastly, we'll go, lastly, what is the response of the Christian? Verse 12, Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law, of the law and the prophets. Basically, Jesus says, if you're receiving these good, gracious gifts from God, the natural response for you is to be gracious to other people. If you truly know that you receive all these gracious blessings from God, what is your natural response? Be gracious to other people. Treat them like you want to be treated. How do you want to be treated? You want to be treated like a human being. You don't want people to gossip about you. You don't want people to belittle you. You don't want people to steal your property. You want people to love you and respect you. That's true. Everyone does it. Therefore, you treat other people like that. But the only way that you can treat other people like that is to, when you understand how, what, what thing, the things that you receive from God. You can only practice this golden rule when you know that you receive great things from God. That's how it works. You cannot just say, treat others like you be treated. And if you don't know how good God is to you, you're not going to be able to do this. I brag about you more than I brag about my kids. To the people I don't, I don't know, I brag about you all the time. I'm like a proud papa. Um, to the liberal Christian, I bragged about you. To my unbelieving paralegals, I brag about you. I brag about you all the time. And one of the ways, one of the things that I recently brag about you is this. I go, my people, my, my, my flock, if you will, a lot of them are serving the church. And they're, they're serving the church not because I asked them to, but because I think they know they receive good gifts from God. Tidying is, tidying is up, giving is up. More people want to be like, members of the church. More people are like, serving at the church simply because they know they receive good gifts from God. Their service, their generosity is a response to God's generosity. Someone asks me all the time, how do you not sleep and how do you pray? How do you do all these things that you do? You know what the secret is? I'm constantly receiving from God. Constantly he's in my purse. Constantly he's working in my mind. Constantly he's working in my history. Because I'm receiving things from him all the time. That's the energy that I have to give you what, what, to do this. Graciousness is a response to the generosity of God. If you're serving without knowing the generosity of God, then I'm sorry. You're going to be kind of be dangerous to the church. Because people who serve without knowing the generosity of God, they become embittered. They become super judgy. They, they become complainers. But when you know that you receive generosity from God, treating others generously is a natural response. Do you want to love other people? Pray that you will discover the gospel. Pray that you'll discover the generosity of God. Let's pray. Do you know the generosity of God? Do you know that he's strong? Do you know that he's righteous? Do you know that he's wise? And do you know that he loves you? 
especially because he has, he has given up his son for you? Are you personally persuaded by that generosity? If you are, you will live a life of prayer. Are you living a life of prayer? If you're not, it's because you're not convinced of his generosity. It isn't because you're lazy. It isn't because you're weak. It's because you're not convinced. The, 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 the The fundamental reason of your prayerlessness is a lack of conviction of God's generosity and the lack of conviction that he loves you. Why don't you pray? Why don't you ask? Why don't you seek? Why don't you knock at his door to convince you of who he is, of how much he loves you, and convince you of his generosity? If there are things that you're going through that is difficult and dark, the answer lies in the asking. It is not, doesn't lie when, when you start to figure things out on your own. It, it lies when you're asking him. For those of us who are so struggling, let's ask God, let's seek him, let's knock at his door, some, let's knock at his door and ask him to give you hope, that give you hope that's based on his reality. Maybe you're not convinced of his generosity because you're not his son. Maybe you're not convinced of his love because the gospel, you're a stranger to the gospel. You may think that you agree with the gospel, but you're not personally swayed by the gospel. If that's true, ask God to give you a clear vision of the gospel. Let us pray for these things, and we'll continue. Gracious Lord, a prayerless Christian life is not the Christian life that you have designed. There is no such thing as a prayerless Christian because a Christian knows that you are the only one that is strong, that is righteous, wise, and loving. And that a Christian knows that everything that we need in life comes from your hand. Therefore, a Christian lives a life of prayer. Our prayerlessness indicates, number one, that we do not know your sovereignty. We are not convinced that you are provide. And we are not convinced that you love us. Maybe we had an emotional response to praise song back in the day but we're not personally persuaded by the great cost that Jesus Christ bore for us on the cross. And because we're strangers of this great cost that Christ has done for us, we, are, we question your love for us. We question your generosity. We pray that we ask you this morning to make the gospel real, to make your generosity real, to make your hand real in our lives. May you convict our hearts, persuade our hearts to go to our closets, to ask you, to seek you, and if needed, to knock at your door. And as we go pursuing you, give us what you promised us, which is allow us to see our prayers answered.
allow us to experience the great spiritual blessings that you will pour out in our lives. Father, this life, this short life that we live, is to live in constant dependency in prayer. Dependency in prayer and experiencing your provision. I pray that my dear church would experience that in their lives. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.